Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Connecting to the big show. Three, two, one. We're the only country that comes up with a name for fun. Crack. It's blackguarding. It's scutting. It's no harm. 55 euros straight out of my account. So they have my money and I have no test. I time for all these people and it's always a good hearted person to change them. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Oh, there was a distinct autumnal chill in the air this morning. Talk about a drop in temperatures over the last couple of days. As I've said to you here in the mornings, I have things to do when I surface at at stupid o'clock. And it's getting... Dark now, it's darker every single morning. Don't see a splink of light now till about 20 to 7. Um, and when <laughs> I have to get up in the morning, and there's a couple of things I need to do. One is I need to, well, let the dogs out to say good morning to nature, and hopefully they haven't said good morning to them to her while they're still in the kitchen, if you know what I mean. Then I have to um locate the cats. Um and feed them and that involves being out around because at least one of them would have spent the night out and then I have I told you about having to do the, the medication every morning <laughs> yeah there's a longer discussion in this namely to do with my psychiatric state but um, I have a dog on heart medication and I have a cat on thyroid medication <laughs> the dog's fine dog is so stupid she takes her tablet like it was a little sweetie the cat hides, runs, scratches, and occasionally bites until she finally realizes I'm not letting her go till she takes this thing. But that's getting increasingly difficult in the morning to find her. Little black and white cat, and she'll sneak out. She knows I'm coming. She sees me coming. And she sneaks out. And of course, the mornings are dark now, so I can't find her. So that was it. And I just noticed as I was doing all these little bits and trying to get coffee into myself and trying to make a bite of breakfast and make sure I had all my stuff ready for work. I just noticed, God, there was a chill there this morning. There was a smell of autumn there this morning. But looking nice now. Looking nice now. I think the hot stuff is gone. I think it has definitely left us now for the final time. You'd never know, like, but I think it has left us for the final time. And there's my little rant for this this Tuesday morning. Yes, I have a I have a dog on heart medication and a cat on thyroid medication. I probably need medication myself, Manny would say. But there you go. 0818 96 96 96. I mentioned this man yesterday morning. Uh, we had read over the weekend that he was unwell. 
we had read in, I think Cork I read it first and it was in the examiner too. We had read that he was very ill, in fact, that he did not one but two heart attacks and that in his own words, he, he feared for his life. He felt the end of days might be near. Um, but he joins me now from his bed in, in Bantry Hospital. Ian Bailey, how are you? Good morning. Well, good morning. Um, I think I'm on, on, on the improve now. A week ago on Sunday, I had a, a very strange pain across my chest. And it was quite intense. And what it was, was a heart, a heart attack. And I had one of those on the Sunday, and then I had another one on the Monday. Fortunately, got through to my my doctor, uh, explained what was happening, and they got me into Bantry Hospital and said, well, you better go in. And um, I came in, and I'm, I must say this, actually, PJ, and uh, everybody at Bantry Hospital, they have been great. The staff have been wonderful, the nurses, the doctors, they move very, very quickly. You were moved to CUH, were you? I, they moved me up there for one day for tests, um, but then brought me back down. And at the moment, what is going on is the medical team are fathoming out a, a, a routine of treatment. Okay. Have you had heart trouble in the past? No, no, never. Quite amazingly, because as you know, and quite a lot of other people know, my my, my life is far from ordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been subjected to various challenges, and people have always said to me, "I don't know how you keep doing it, Ian. How how, how do you handle it?" Mm-hmm. And I I never know myself really how I handled it. And I guess things, you know, are going to take their toll. You lost your home as well recently. Are you near to lose your home? Have you lost it? Well, yeah, you know, my, my long-term partner, Jules Lesser, decided that our, our journey was over, so I had to find somewhere else, and I did. And, um, and, 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 and now, again, I'm facing eviction from that because the landlord wants to develop the the, the property um, so that doesn't help either so where are you living right now uh, well I'm, I'm living near Bantry okay selling your wares and your poems there in the in the market yeah 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 and I, I, I will I'll hopefully go back to that I mean I'm, I'm going to take it easy now um, and I've, I've just recently produced um, a three part podcast my own story my own words quite a a labor of love mm-hmm. were you frightened at the la- in the past week that, that this might be curtains well um you, you know when you when you've not experienced something before yeah the, 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 there's obviously an element of of um you know fear <laughs> But um, the secret is to rise above that. And as I said, I cannot praise enough the the staff and 
uh, the nurses and doctors at Bantry Hospital. They've been absolutely superb. We know them well by, by reputation, but to, to hear them endorsed so strongly, I'm sure they'd be pleased to hear it. Ian, if it had been worse news over the last, you know, if you, if you hadn't improved and if you had continued to go downhill, I know that you were very worried that the end might come still without you having proven your innocence. Yeah, well, I mean, that's always been, uh, you know, as, as, as I think everybody is aware, um, I wrote to Drew Harris, the Commissioner of Ngarda Shikana, as a clean pair of hands on this, this case. Uh, and that was over two years ago, I think. And I think he, he sanctioned the cold case review, which is ongoing, as I understand it. I've had no contact with them. I made it clear from the beginning any assistance I could give, I would give. And I'm hoping that, you know, somebody will acknowledge the fact it wasn't, wasn't me that, that murdered this poor, poor French lady. You've maintained your innocence from day one. You and I have spoken many, many times. You've, you've always insisted you didn't do it. The question is, Ian, mm. that it comes to me, you, you yourself are an investigative journalist by profession. That was the first job you ever did. Do you know, if you didn't do it, do you know who did? I, I, what, what I did with episode three of my podcast, which is called Ian Bailey in his own words mm. and is widely available. I finished the episode three by going through a few scenarios because over the years people have said to me, well, who do you think did do it? And I, without going into too much detail and without naming names necessarily. Oh, of course, absolutely. Do you have one individual in particular that you believe it was? I'm beginning because... Now, there's a cold... An independent cold case review that's being conducted by uh, an Irish uh, television company and employed forensic experts from America, uh, the UK, to go through every piece of evidence Hmm. and there's an indication that it could be a person still alive who was responsible i don't want to say too much more okay okay there is um a strong suggestion of a person who it may be and that person is in ireland is irish is still alive. Now, whether it is them or not, I do not know. How much would it mean to you, Ian, after all these years, if Drew Harris or any other member, senior member of Angarda Shiokana were to turn around to you after nearly, God, it's nearly 30 years now, and say, Mr. Bailey, we were wrong and we're sorry. Do you believe that will ever happen? Um, I would like to think it would, uh, whether it will or not, only time will tell. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the only victim of this. My ex-partner, indeed, Jules, you know, she's suffered greatly. 
and as did the community of West Cork. You know, it's, it's still a very dark stain on the otherwise good name of Angada Shirkana. And on the area, on that beautiful area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, do you ever think of Sophie's family? And you, you, you say you want the answer. Well, I, 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 I'm very, very sympathetic to them. Um, the thing about Sophie's family was they were assured very early on in the investigation um, the Irish police knew who had murdered her and that person was me. So they bought a false narrative and I can understand their, you know, their point of view. And of course their own legal system in France added to that in 2019 by convicting you. Well, the thing, the thing about French law is basically if you're accused of a crime, you're guilty. It, it's quite the opposite of our common yeah. law. Yeah. Your solicitor, Mr. Bottomer, has explained that to me more than once, I may tell you. But I felt I had to ask you the question anyway. That hangs over you too, I suspect, Ian, that you have this conviction. Yes, in another legal system. Yes, in a legal system completely different to ours. But you still have this conviction hanging over you. I, I do, yeah. And, you know, it's not a nice thing. No, nobody would want that. And, uh, and look, my, my, my hope and prayer has always been that the truth would come out. My hope and prayer is that before I'm dead and gone, the truth will come out. And the truth is that I have nothing to do with this terrible crime. I was about to ask you that to finish. You are on the mend. You did get a fright. It's your earnest hope that you do one day b before you go to meet your maker... Um, later rather than sooner that you go mm. to meet your maker as a man cleared of suspicion that would be your dream wouldn't it it would go a long way to putting a big smile on my face I can tell you we've spoken many times over the years I wish you well in your recovery to full health and I'll leave it there with you thank you Ian and thank you very much Slantal, Slantal, Ian Bailey, speaking to me from uh, Bantry Hospital this morning, where he's recovering. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Few things to just wanted to go through at this stage of the morning. They're having their political thinking. I hate that term. For years, I used to spend my September's following the political parties around the country, and I would go to all of these political thinkings. Some of them are one day, some of them are overnighters, some of them are two days, whatever. Thinking was a word I never heard or I never liked very much. Truth be told, there was more drinking than thinking at some of the things. Anyway, anyway, uh, they're up in County Tipperary. The farmers are protesting outside the Fianna Fáil get-together uh, again and Forgive me here. If if any farmer wants to explain to me at oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six what the farmers are complaining about, then I'd love to know because I genuinely don't understand what their argument is about nitrates. I don't. Okay, uh, some I heard some man saying it meant he might have to slaughter a few beasts. I, I would not like that to happen to any farmer. I don't know why are the farmers complaining outside 
the Fianna Fáil think in at Horse and Jockey in County Tipperary. There's a great name for a place, isn't it? Always loved that name, Horse and Jockey. In the old days, not too recently, you would drive through Horse and Jockey on the way to Dublin. And you'd often stop there. And there was that hotel that they're in is a very famous hotel. It was always a very famous hotel to stop for a bite to eat if you were breaking the journey. And I'm not talking about the distant past now. I'm talking about 10 years ago. Maybe even less. You'd stop in the horse and jockey for a soup and a sandwich. It was always a lovely place to stop. It's a fine hotel. And never actually, I did, I did actually stay there once. But but they're having it. They're, they're thinking there. And yesterday, the whole USC thing came up. And it's it's twenty was it twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen? Twenty fifteen or when was it? When was it? Twenty ten actually. Yes, twenty ten. Twenty ten they brought in this universal social charge. Twas um twas to bring us through the austerity years. And we were told it was going to be temporary. And I remember where I heard it. I was on holidays. I was on holidays in, if I'm right, I was on holidays in Santa Panza when I heard about it. Um, And I was sitting there reading the paper, uh, listening to the updates about this charge they were bringing in at the budget and temporary charge. And I said to the Queen Bee over our breakfast, I said, temporary my arse. And sure, here it still is now. 12 years later, the universal social charge, that great scourge of all of our wage packets, whether you earn 20,000 or 220,000 a year, the USC is a scourge on all of our flipping wage packets. And uh, in 2016, Enda Kenny said that he would abolish it if he was returned to government. And of course he didn't. Um... And then he said he couldn't really do it because it brings in over four billion a year to the economy. And that's four very badly needed billion at the time. So it's been with us until this day. And it's a scourge, um, as I said, no matter what you are. I think particularly on on the average working wage. I mean, and by the average working wage, I mean anything from... 20,000 to 40,000. Somewhere in there is the average working wage. And the real one, I mean, not the one the CSO puts out as the average industrial wage, 41 or 2,000 now. That's nowhere near the average actual working wage in, in true reality for most people doing an ordinary job. But it's a scourge of anyone because um, it's on everything from the moment you start earning, it's it's on everything. Um, yeah, some people are exempt. I know that for those earning sort of under thirteen thousand are exempt, but you know yourself. But um, Fianna Fáil are talking about a reduction in the budget, and Michael McGrath, in that great um, style of every government politician, a week out or a month out from the budget, won't be drawn on what's going to happen. But we're we're being told that. Oh, they are considering a cut to the universal social charge. And speculation being what it is, the speculation is that they'll cut it for those earning or for earnings under 40,000. That would be that speculation. 
Now, I think up from, I think the first rate is 45 or 5%. They'll cut it for earnings under 40,000. And that would mean it would bring everybody's USC charge down if they're earning under 40,000. If you earn over 40,000, then you get a reduction on the money under, if you know what I'm getting at. They're not going to touch the high rate. The high rate is something like 8% for higher earners. That's the plan. We haven't heard anything concrete yet, but that's what seems to be happening. McBarry has issued a statement this morning, uh, Socialist Party TD, calling for the immediate abolition of the universal social charge. Um, he says it was meant to be an emergency measure in an austerity crisis. It was always meant to be temporary. 13 years on, it is time for it to be completely done away with. It's time for, he says, this hated charge on working people to be swept aside. He then says the loss now, it would cost between four and five billion. That's what the economists tell us. It would cost between four and five billion to, to wipe it out in, in one go. He then says the loss in revenue to the state should be made up by other new taxes on wealth and higher incomes. He said a high, get this, a high income social charge of 10% on those who earn more than €90,000 per annum would source a new tax revenue stream of more than £2.2 So he wants to remove the USC and then replace it with higher tax on higher earners. That's that's McBarry's idea. Even doing it the way he suggests wouldn't replace all that money in one go because it brings in about four billion or more and he reckons he can generate two point two billion with more taxes on on higher earners and more taxes on on wealth. Um but certainly it I think the sense is it has to go. Economically the the econ- see that economist is Austin Hughes in the news this morning saying if you get rid of it now you could overcharge the economy but sorry (laughs) Mr Hughes I've been battered by this blasted thing for years and I've given them enough and so have everybody else that I know we've given them enough on what was supposed to be temporary and I'm completely with McBarry on this idea it was supposed to be temporary it was supposed to be for a little while while we were in trouble but Oh. So your thoughts, I'd love to get your thoughts on the universal social charge. Is it time to do away with it? Is it time to get completely rid of the universal social charge, regardless of the cost? Regardless of the cost, is it time to get rid of the universal social charge? You tell me. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Points 96 FM. Gavin was on to me yesterday about road traffic and safety and speeding and another excellent contribution. We've had many over the last week and a bit. But um, Gavin works in Pfizer. And there's a lot of people who listen to the show every day down in Ring of Skiddy. And they are running a charity fundraiser. Um, if we could mention it, they'd be delighted. Yes, they cycled from Grange Castle, Dublin, to Ring of Skiddy over the weekend just gone in aid of the Irish Cancer Society. And they have a link where you can help to donate to that. But happy to mention everyone from Pfizer, well done lads, cycled from Grange Castle in Dublin to Ring of Skiddy 
over the weekend in aid of the Irish Cancer Society. And Gavin, who was on with me yesterday with a very solid contribution on road safety, wanted me to mention that and very happy to do so. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Charlotte got in touch with the opinion line to tell us about her car. It was stolen uh, last week, stolen on a Saturday, by four kids who came into Cork City, stole the car, targeted because it was Japanese import, and then burnt it out on Sunday. Now, at the time, Charlotte knew nothing about this trend, but then she got told, as many people do know, that these youngsters steal, deliberately steal Japanese imports, take video, post the video to TikTok of them driving around, and then burn the cars out. It's not the first time we've had this. We've had several owners of Japanese cars who've been through this. It's a nationwide thing. Charlotte, shocked to discover it. Um, Sometimes you don't discover these things until they happen to you, of course. They don't have immobilizers, and they don't have anti-theft devices in them, and she wondered if we would share it, and if we would mention it, um, because she certainly didn't know, and I think a lot of people wouldn't. Now, Sergeant Brian McSweeney is Crime Prevention Officer for the Garda... Cork City Division, and he joins me. Um, Brian, it's a problem. It's an ongoing problem, and and one that, that's, that's on the open, anything. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and to all your listeners. Um, thanks for having me on board. Um, yeah, PJ, you're covering it, and you're seeing this, and we're seeing it. The unfortunate thing about the Japanese imports, PJ, is that from a security perspective, these cars don't have immobilizers fitted, or they don't have um, alarms fitted to the car. And unfortunately, the industry is not making them aware at the time of purchase that you are now, we'd like to make you aware you're buying a car that doesn't have these security facilities within them. Um, And in 2023, so far, 40% of all the UTs, which is the under-authorised taking of vehicles uh, report in 2023, is from this um, sector of cars. Mm. And you have gangs of youngsters who know the exact models, know how to get into them and know how to start them. For sure, it's the old-fashioned way, PJ. Before we did get immobilizers, to the old dismantling of the of the ignition, it um, was to get in number one, and you get in no problem when the car is not alarmed, and then you can start the car because there's no immobilizer. So it's the old-fashioned way. Like there's 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 been a 257 percent increase in the amount of these Japanese cars that have come into Ireland. In 2019, there was four five thousand imported, and in 2022, there was eighteen thousand of these cars imported. Wow. So they're in the four courts and they're in garages and they're being sold privately. And look, I just want people to be aware of it, that um, you really have to start asking the question in the forecourt, what, what are the security features of your car that you're buying? Just a simple question. What, what are the, and, and get the facts of the car that you're, that you're purchasing. Basically. One assumes you can get all this stuff fitted afterwards, after you buy it or before you buy it. A very, very expensive thing to do, PJ, thereafter to fit an immobilizer. And I suppose, think of it this way. If you are the criminal that's looking at one of these cars on the side of the street, you're of the presumption that this car does not have an immobilizer fitted. So sometimes if you do get an immobilizer pre-added to the car after sale, you can put a sticker on the window saying that the, the, the car has now fitted with an immobilizer and they may take cognizance of this sticker and read it and say, let's back away. But the big crime prevention advice that I'm giving to anybody that knows they have one of these cars is to go back to the old-fashioned way, PJ, that we remember where there was this um, steering lock, a oh, yeah. very big and bold steering lock, very visible from the outside, 
quite showing the person that this vehicle is, is even if you started, the, the, the mechanism, the steering wheel mechanism is there. This was like a walking stick with two hooks on it. Correct, which, which was the old-fashioned one, PJ, and that's the point I'm coming to. Are they still effective? Absolutely, because I want people to recognise if you are going to buy them, in those days they wouldn't have been the strongest, the walking stick type version, but there are other ones that are out there in the market from, from reputable um, auto factors. But you need again to go asking the question, what is the security rating of the lock that I'm going to buy? We as a police force would ask people to follow the SBD, which is Secured by Design Products, which are police-preferred products. Hmm. And if you go under Secured by Design on on the website and you put in um, steering locks, you will get a couple of companies that will come up there and that will give you a very, very good uh, certified quality of lock that Hmm. will will work on your steering wheel. Because some of the older ones would cut with a hacksaw. Yeah, and that's why I'm trying to get people to recognise it's the old saying... PJ, you, you get what you pay for. Mm. But I mean, you can get them in that, we call it walking stick style, which goes straight across the wheel, or you can get a, a disc lock type um, one, which actually encompasses the whole steering wheel mm. into a locking system. It's like covering your steering wheel with a lock. Mm. An S? SPD, secured by design. Okay. They're police preferred products. Worth, with anything. Worth, worth looking that up. Yeah. Now, in terms of cars being stolen in general, yeah. Brian, mornings, evenings, at home, at work. What's yeah. the most common scenario? There's two sides of the coin here, PJ. One is the taking of the car and the other is the taking from the car. And what we're seeing is that the taking of cars are occurring at nighttime hours between 11pm and 5am in the morning. And it's midweek, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday days um, are the ones that are, are appearing. The good news is that we're... we're recovering 37% of the cars stolen on the same day and 85% of cars stolen within three days. So that's the good news. Mm. But we want no car taken at all. How many of them are you getting back intact? Because one of the TikTok trends is to burn the damn thing afterwards. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate side of both PG and we're seeing that trend as well. Many of them are, are being burnt out, but we're getting 37% of them back straight away. The other thing is that when you look at, when you look at what's happening, PG, and the trends, many of this is caused by car owner themselves the amount of people especially with theft from the cars the amount of people who are leaving their cars opened PJ is hard to believe I could have 12 theft from cars in a week in Cork and the 12 of them would have been left open the criminals are just going from estate to estate checking car after car and they, all they want is the pair of sunglasses and a bit of coin they don't want big fancy stuff they might get a bit of luck and they get a laptop but in general small takings from the car but the car is wide open. And if you only look in the last few days, we have one car that was stolen and the owner left the keys in the ignition. Another car owner decided to leave the car unlocked and left the spare key in the glove compartment of, of the car. Mm. We had another car where the owner left the keys of the car under the mat of the vehicle. So our statistics are rising in Cork City as a direct result of people not taking their own personal care for their own property. Wow. Yeah. So many of the modern cars once you walk away with the key in your pocket, the car locks itself. Yeah, keyless, uh, push that, ignitions are vulnerable to a form of attack. Fortunately in Cork, we're not seeing a big rise in this, but we need to make people aware that, that this is out there and this is happening. Is that a thing called relay signal? Yeah, a relay attack on vehicles. 
normal sequel of events, PJ, in this instance, is where doors would open if you walk up to about three metres of the car. Yeah. And then the car won't start unless the key is inside the car. But with this relay attack, the criminal can actually open the car from a distance using relay tools that they can buy <laughs> online. One needs to be really, really careful. Absolutely. And what, what, what I'm saying in relation to that, PJ, is that there's a very simple um, crime prevention measure people can take around these vehicles, is that there's a thing called a Faraday bag. As it's a signal-blocking pouch or bag yes. or box that you yes. can buy. Yes. And even some companies, if you buy the box, they give it the bag at half price. And basically what it means is that if you have one of these cars, the signal can't be interfered with. You can put your key into a little bag and keep it in the pocket of your trousers or upstairs when in your mm. bedroom or wherever you leave your key, individual key. And the signal the signal then can't be read, yeah. have you? What about trackers, Brian, while we're at that? You put a tracking device into the vehicle, a little tile or something that emits a ping and lets you know where the car is. Yeah, they're, they're a very a very good and common thing to use. There's many people uh, using them at the moment. And in garages, many of them in insurance companies won't let you take out a very expensive car from a forecourt until you have a tracker device fitted now for insurance purposes. We're seeing an increase with um, motorbikes as well, PJ, and scooters, but, but motorbikes, many motorbikes being taken. And we're t- asking people to give their motorbike a bit of TLC, and we describe that as trace, lock, and cover. The trace bit is you can fit a tracker to a vehicle or to a motorbike or any object, and people get scared of the price of these type of commodities. They get worried about it, but a, a fixed wire tracker will cost you about €100 Euro plus that to get. Mm-hmm. An installation costs you 25 euro plus vet, and then there's a monthly fee so that your vehicle or camper van or, or motorbike can be GPS track, and that's not very expensive. You mm-hmm. can also get a self powered tree which has three lithium batteries in it just to keep security on your vehicles. We're asking people to lock their motorbikes, lock their pedal cycles, and to use two locks and to tie the bikes and motorbikes to an immovable object, mm-hmm. you know and to cover them you know cover your motorbike if it's yeah. in your driveway cover it with it the more work for the thief my, my, my dad used yeah. to say in his days in the forest Brian yeah. the more work the less the thief wants to know absolutely absolutely and there is very good locks around the place again there's SPD locks there's a company here in Cork that sell secure by design locks for motorbikes and for for pedal cycles you know, so if you do a bit of work, you'll find where these products are, okay. and they're very, very good. They've been tried and tested by independent test houses, so it's worth getting the secure product, the proper quality product. Lastly, there was a space a few years ago, Brian, of thefts from under the car of the catalytic converter. Is that still going on? Not seen it very much in Cork, PJ, thanks be to God. And basically, it's not the catalytic converter, it's not the, the actual box that, that's of value. It's the, the precious metals that's contained mm-hmm. inside it, platinum and palladium and rhodium, and, and they're very expensive. But it's hybrid vehicles that this crime favours. Ah. And 4x4s, PJ, because they're so far up off the ground. And unfortunately, from, from a tracing point of view and an investigation point of view, these things don't have a serial number or a marking. So really, it's just to know your car and know, is your car at risk? Can you protect your cat? You can. Some people say, first and foremost, is to make sure that your insurance company know and that you are protected, that, so to get cover. Ensure that you're, if you're driving a hybrid vehicle, to make sure that your own policy covers the theft of, of, of this, number one. Number two, you can etch 
maybe the car ridge plate, etch it onto the okay. onto it so that if it's recovered somewhere, we have an identity. The police have an identity to trace it back to a particular vehicle, so you can now prove who is the owner of this. So you can get someone for handling stolen property because you found a person with it, and you can check back on the car. Then, if you can see the reg number, to say that it was stolen, and you can link the owner to prove ownership. Mm. That or an air code onto it, etch it onto it, or you can just simply paint it. And they don't like seeing ones that are painted. So the <laughs> spray painting of it will turn them off. You know. Again, the more work for the thief. Yeah. To finish and summarise, Sergeant McSweeney, this very valuable piece of equipment in our driveway, it's our responsibility to take care of it, isn't it? Yes. And and the trends I'm seeing is that the crimes happening is to those that are not PJ. And I've said it at the start. I'm just asking for people to make it a part of their nightly SOP before they go to the bed to make sure that they check that the doors of the cars are closed, basically, you know. And that goes in particular as well to tradesmen that have vans and, and tools yeah. to be very careful there. And that's another thing when you mention itching and knowing your property. We have a new property app, PJ, that was, was launched last year. And people can download this app on Google Play or, or the App Store and they can keep a, a record of their own property and if something gets stolen, you have a clear picture of your bicycle, you have a picture of the serial number that you have taken from underneath, or your watch, or your anything. And you can keep an inventory of your property. And it is only yours. The police don't have the inventory. And you can report something to the police from your own home if it got stolen. What's the name of that app, Brian? It's Angarda Shikana Property App. Set up your own little security parameters in it. Start taking pictures of your lawnmower and your garden equipment and your tools and your anything that's valuable to you. Excellent. Just take it and have a record of it. Good advice for anyone, whether it's a car, like you said, or a lawnmower, anything valuable anything, that, any that you might have. Yeah, yeah, mopeds, scooters, Excellent. anything of the stuff that's been taken at the moment, PGM. Sergeant Mishwini, thank you very much for your time. Not at all, PJ. God bless. Thanks. Cheers, Brian. And, and any, oh, by the way, Brian, um, our best wishes on your impending retirement, which comes... In, in the coming days, I think he'll be finished in the office in Anglesey Street by the end of September. So our congratulations on retirement to Sergeant Brian McSweeney and best of luck, Brian, with the next chapter. 0818 96 96 96. The few of your comments coming in on universal social charge. This idea, this it's forming as we run up to the budget that Fianna Fáil and Michael McGrath may cut it, may cut it for certain sections of society. Um, our section of the workforce. McBarry responding to that by saying, get rid of it completely. Do it in one go. Um, I want your thoughts on 0818 96 96 96. But uh, someone who's been affected by break ins to their car, next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Now, there seems to have been a spate of this theft from cars, um, break-ins, in Ballincollig. Some of the locals down there have reported attempted break-ins and described what they say are suspicious characters in Heathfield and Maglin. This was in, in the last few days. Two men in their 20s have already been arrested after trying to break into a vehicle. This was in the early hours of last Friday morning and residents now worried 
are there others out there? They've taken to Facebook to the Bellancolic Community Hub. Uh, Georgina, your car and your mom's both ransacked. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, very um, strange. We don't like we live about we live in different estates. We live about five hundred meters from each other or so. Um, but we obviously weren't aware on the night that it happened that we had both been <laughs> um, involved in the same thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, so basically with my mom's car, her lock on her one of her doors is just a bit funny. And when they tried it, um, it, it was it opened. Mm-hmm. So that was all it was. But there was nothing in her car. Um, so they just... Um, took uh, one or two basically pieces of paper that had her name on it and her address right. on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, that would be that then, would be worrying if they have her address on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and look, she was concerned, and she, you know, she was just afraid that, like, you know, she she was going through all kinds of things in her head. She was thinking, are they selling on information, or you know, she was like, is it is it gone in that in depth, or you know, but. I think they just, I don't know, they obviously thought it would have been of value somehow, but anyway, and then... Um, Did she make a gather report with, on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, it was funny because when she rang me on the Friday morning, I had just had the guard. <laughs> I, had, I had him with me here in my house and she rang the phone and I said, oh, I'll ring her back in a minute. And then... Um, she rang again and I was like that's weird um, and then I just knew I in my head I went hang on a minute this is a bit weird that she's after ringing me twice in a row so when I rang her back she said hi I have to tell you something and then I was like yeah I have to tell you something too and then we registered that it happened to the two of us and the guard was like oh my goodness I've never heard of this happening but um, yeah so Basically, I went out with my son. He was getting in his um, on the bus for school, and then when I turned around, I just noticed my back door of my car was wide open. Mm-hmm. So uh, my heart sank because I was like, "Oh my goodness! Like, you know, what am I facing into here?" Um, but look, my car, my car was unlocked. But it's like the guard said. He said, "You know, at, at the end of the day, it's kind of irrelevant because they shouldn't be going through your car anyway." Do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was I, on Thursday night, I had actually taken a few things out of the car and I got a phone call while I was doing that and I got distracted. And that's how, because I came back into the house to take the phone call. So it can happen to any of us, Georgina. It can happen to Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, yeah, they just took everything out of my glove box and threw it all over the car and um, took some sunglasses and about six euro in coins. Isn't that what Sergeant McSweeney was saying to me only a few minutes ago? He said, for the most part... They're not looking for big ticket items. They're, they'll mm. go with a pair of sunglasses and, and some coins. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But the damage to your car will <laughs> cost an awful lot more than the six quid they took. Uh, it was kind of, it was just, uh, it's just a weird feeling um, when you get into your car. Like, cause I drove to work then and I was kind of thinking like someone was sitting, potentially sitting in this seat last night and someone, you know, it's an invasion mm. of privacy and it's just a very odd feeling to know that someone was un, who was unwelcome yeah. was in your space like that. You'd, you you know? feel like the first thing you need to do is get the thing valid from top to bottom. Yeah. And especially actually because my car, the seats are kind of, um, they're a funny material. They're kind of like a suede. And um, they left the, because they left the door wide open, the damp, it was kind of a very foggy morning on Friday. Mm-hmm. 
so all the yeah all the seats are kind of they're still quite damp so yeah, that you was get, you all get mold there quick yeah exactly so all weekend we had to leave all the doors open and you know it's just something small but like mm. you know it is something that like I had a car years ago an old banger that did go moldy so that was my thing in my head I was like no not this car too so you know just it's like obviously they're look I suppose they're first world problems in the grand scheme of things but it's frustrating and uh, you know it, it it was just more when you when you see the car open the door that when you're not expecting it that's when your heart sinks and you just think oh no you know mm. it's not a nice feeling so what did the guard tell you when you were reporting this to obviously they came and they looked at it and yeah he well I left it exact. I didn't touch the car I literally I just looked in the windows and um, when he came he presumed that they had broken the handle on the back and he said okay we're going to have to take this for a technical examination and I was like what <laughs> And then he said, oh, no, sorry. He said, I thought the door was broken, so I laughed about that. And then um, he just said, look, it's um, unfortunately, it was everywhere last night. And he said, you're not the only person this morning that's woke up and has rang the calls. He said, we're inundated this morning, just in the area. Um, and um, yeah, I just had to give like a little statement of basically like when I saw it, what times or whatever. Mm. But they had already been arrested at that point. Oh, so yeah. it was just basically more to, you know, have it on file that um, my car was one of them. And he also said that like potentially other people, if they had left their cars unlocked, they could have been in their cars too, but they mightn't have, you know, like they might have left a glove box. But if you're rushing out to work and you see your glove box empty or open, sorry, you might just say, oh, that's weird, and close it and drive yes. to work. Do you know? Yes, you yes. mightn't actually click like that it had happened because to you too. we've all been in the position where you're in the car and you suddenly need a biro and the one place you're likely yeah. to find one is inside the love compartment. And you exactly. might forget to close yeah. it then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and then um, that was it. But I suppose my my mom was probably a little bit more shook than me because it's like her dog, actually, it was very strange. Both, I have a cat, she has a dog, and her dog started barking at like 4 a.m. out of nowhere. Um, And when she went downstairs, she was like, this is so weird because he's not like that. He's an older dog and he just sleeps all the time, basically. But when she went downstairs, she saw the blue lights and her heart sank because she said, oh, no, what is this? Because she thought, you you know, when you see blue lights at four in the morning, you presume it's there's been an accident or something. Mm. Um, But it was just them saying, look, we're very sorry. Um, Your car has been broken into, but they had recovered items at that point. So they just wanted to see, is this yours? Is this yours? And there was, I don't know, there was some silly things like kids' toys and everything. And my mom was like, why would you take something like that? Like a bag of princess books and everything, you know? So we've we've had the call regularly in the week or two before Christmas of someone who shall we say, uh, Santa's workshop got raided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely, I believe it. And I mean, it's my son's birthday this Friday. And um, only the other day, like I was in Smith's and I had bought other, like, you know, toys and whatever, little bits and bobs. And they had actually been in the boot um, the day before. And I had taken them out only because I went out the night before to empty a few bits out of the car. But... Only, like, I mean, half of me, a lot of the time would go, ah, I'll do it at the weekend. Yeah. You know? We've all been there, Georgina. 
Yeah. Ah, I yeah. guess I'll do it on Saturday. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a glass, there's a glass of wine on the sideboard with my name on it. Exactly. And, it, and a good television show. <laughs> priority, PJ, priority. I know, sure, I know, sure. Well, I'm glad that uh, yourself and your mum are both okay. Um, but that was, to have them both caught on the one spate of robberies on the one night in the one village of Balancholic, or the one area of Balancholic, and someone lifted for it at about 20 past two on Friday morning in the Carignara estate, which was good work. But the advice of Sergeant McSweeney, which we will podcast later, just be damn careful. You can't be too careful these days. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Interesting response to Sergeant Brian McSweeney. Uh, we'll podcast the interview with him later. Crime Prevention Officer for the Cork City Division about just how we need to take a little bit of personal responsibility. That was just part of a wide-ranging conversation, but we have a bit of personal responsibility with regard to our own cars, in our own driveways, or outside our own front doors. We need to make sure they're locked. We need to leave nothing on display. We need to make sure we don't leave valuables in them. And try, if you can, make sure you have an alarm, make sure you have an immobilizer. On regards Japanese imports, be aware if you're buying one that they don't have immobilizers. They don't have anti-theft devices. Now, admittedly, the car dealers who sell them should be telling people that. But he was just making a number of points in that regard, particularly we're down to personal responsibility. You can't leave stuff on display in your car at night in 2023. You simply can't. You just can't. Uh, this message came in to 083 396 96 96 and look, it's a take on the whole thing. Message says, Thanks, guard. We'll spend a fortune on alarms, etc. while you're doing fake all, letting these scumbags run riot while you further persecute the taxpayers with ease. Which is a take. Not a take I personally agree with, but, but there you have it. Peter, I was living in Dublin years ago. I had a quiet male neighbour next door. His car was ransacked one night and the poor fella had loads of pictures of would-be Asian brides in his boot and they ended up strewn all over the estate in the flower beds and all the neighbours' car windows the following morning. Poor fella must have been mortified. Note to self, be careful what you leave in your car. Yeah. 0818 96 96 96 but I'd like to know if you have any thoughts on that particular message whoever it was didn't sign it these messages usually aren't signed but having listened to Sergeant Brian McSweeney this particular message is thanks guard we'll spend a fortune on alarms etc while you're doing feck all letting these scumbags run riot while you further persecute the taxpayers with ease. Your thoughts to 083 396 96 96. Now there's a new show, a new reality show. I don't like reality television but sometimes it's just good factual reality following real life stories rather than real you know, following the reality TV real life story 
TV. And Born Too Soon is the latest in, in that series. It's um, on Virgin Media 1. It started the other night. Um, and it features families whose babies were literally born too soon. Uh, the producer is Sarah Brophy and joins me. Sarah, a lot of work's gone into this. You were following people and working with people and families for months. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, no, we've, it's been uh, it's been a long year. We've been in there since last October. We only recently wrapped up in there and following a number of families who have had to, unfortunately, go through the NICU um, with their babies for one reason or another. Most of them born quite vulnerable and, as you say, too soon. By in there, you mean but, but CUMH? In CUMH, exactly. In the hectic... NICU of CUMH um, and we had unprecedented access and the staff were just unbelievably welcoming, completely opened the doors, allowed us in there 24-7 to just observe what they do and the life-saving treatment that goes on every single day. And we were very, very privileged to get seven or eight families on board who were just willing to let us go on that journey with them and see how stressful it is for a family who, you know, go through most of them through a normal pregnancy and don't expect to end up in this situation and find themselves, you know, with their very tiny baby um, mm. essentially on life support, on ventilators, you know, needing all the help outside of the womb. And I, one of the nurses described it really well. She said basically like the womb is the life support. When mm -hmm. they come out too early, they don't know how to do anything for themselves. So we have to jump in and literally do everything for them. It's hard, isn't it, Siobhan, as a producer, as someone it's, not to be yeah. invasive? How do, you, how do you strike that balance? I've always found um, doing documentaries like this that when you're working with people, you have to build up a trust. And I think, you know, I suppose I earned some of that. And I'm, I'm a former NICU mum myself. My twins were in there for a couple of weeks. So I had that level of understanding of just how overwhelming it is when you walk in the door and there's alarms going off. You don't know where your baby is. You don't know how they're doing. And I think so I, I had that. I had that experience. And that certainly helped me when I was meeting parents who have found themselves in the first few days. The consultants and the, and the staff and the comms team were amazing. They introduced us. They, we had already established trust with them and they introduced us, you know, as a safe pair of hands to talk to. But I mean, it's a huge leap for people when they find themselves in that situation to then turn around and start talking to camera. But so it is quite hard. And you have to you have to know when to step back. And, you know, it's just it's a very delicate process. But mm. I think, you know, I've become quite friendly with the, with the parents over the year. And I think, you know, we just struck up a good relationship with all of the people we worked with. And I think mm. that's that's essentially what helped us. When, when my boy was small, we, we got to know quite well a, a wonderful pediatrician called Dr. Tony Ryan. And, and you know, we, we at James was in hospital a couple of times, and never in a, in a NICU or anything like that, but I remember passing Tony one night in the corridor and getting to a question. And say, he was in with a very, very sick little child, a really, really sick little child. And we stopped for a conversation in the corridor, and I said to him, she's going to make it. And he said, if I've had to do it. That was, he just looked at me, if I've had to do it. Do you know, these people, this skill... And dedication and knowledge. There are no words, are there, Sarah? 
There are no words. Their dedication. I honestly, some days I went in, I wondered had any of them gone home. And they just do it with such grace. And it's all about the parents for them. They're just constantly trying to make sure that the parents are right. And honestly, some days there'd be emergencies in there and you wouldn't even know because they managed to just maintain this air of calm, which essentially is all for the parents and they they just they work so hard like it's it's amazing to be able to shine a light and I think it does come across in the series just how hard they work at what they do the tiniest tiniest of patients tiny I mean like it's very sometimes I think the camera doesn't even do justice to the size of the baby in the incubator because I we'd often try and when the nurse put, puts the hand in, then you get the perspective of how small these That's babies right. can actually be. Like some of them are under 600 grams and you're just watching them fighting for their lives. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And a lot of the parents, you know, when you have your baby, like one of the moments you look forward to the most is like holding your baby for the first time. You know, having that skin to skin contact, which is so important for mum and baby. And a lot of these mums are not able to hold their baby for two, three weeks because they have to be on ventilators and they can't be taken out because they're so vulnerable to infection. Um, it's just it's just so hard on parents, yeah. uh, you know, when they're going through that. Yeah. But do you know what? I, I'm just, I'm blown away even still. And one of our families was on Ireland AM this morning and they were unbelievable. But I'm blown away by how strong and resilient the families we feature have yeah. been and how open they are. And all of their motivations have been, we just want to help anybody else going through yeah. the same situation in the future. As, as a NICU mum yourself, and I'll move on and talk to Jamal now in just a second, but as a NICU mum you, yourself, you had to find that strength. So I think as a producer, it probably gives you a unique insight. It definitely does. It definitely does. It's probably why I got the job in the first place. I think they looked at my CV and, and then when I started chatting and said, oh no, I've been in there. They're like, oh yeah, you're, you're in. But it's, it definitely gave me, it definitely helped me because I don't think, it's very hard to understand what people are going through in that moment. And as well, the documentary, I hope it comes across that like, this is one of the most stressful situations a parent can find themselves in. Mm. And I think a lot of the family said to me, it's very hard to describe to granny and granddad at home, you know, just how intense it is in here. And I think now people will see that. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely given me, it definitely gave me a great insight into, you know, what these parents were going through. Indeed, indeed. And probably the, the ability to go to go deeper than, than, than other producers have gone, which is it's yeah. a good piece of work. I saw the I saw the first episode the other night. It's a super piece of work. Sarah, thank you. Sarah is producer of Born Too Soon on Virgin Media, which is and set entirely in C-U-M-H, one of the families. Uh, Siobhan is your family. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Ruby is four and Adam is, is seven months. And they've both been NICU babies. Yeah, indeed, they both have. Um, Adam only spent, well, only but three weeks in the NICU and Ruby had 11 weeks in the NICU then, mm. four years ago. You were prone to a thing called preeclampsia. What's that? So it's to do with blood pressure. Um, I had a very normal, with Ruby, I had a very normal pregnancy up until week 20. And I just actually went into hospital because I was very sick on New Year's Eve, just vomiting. And they were just worried about me getting dehydrated. So I went in 
for that reason and then they realised that my blood pressure was quite high and then from then on I was monitored really closely and then at week 24 I ended up being admitted into hospital so I was in hospital um, just kind of four weeks before I had her and then we were in hospital 11 weeks after that with her. Now, it's your no. second pregnancy with Adam that the programme focuses on, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is indeed. Yeah, that's when they were filming when I was so how, just, again... How far along when you, were you when you realised all wasn't going according to plan? Um, it kind of never was going according to plan. Um, so my blood pressure never settled after having Ruby, which is quite unusual when it is preeclampsia. So we had pre-pregnancy meetings with my consultants just to make sure that well, not even make sure, but just to see how far we could get without having to go into hospital because obviously we had a little girl at home as well this time, so things were hugely different. Um, but from week, I'd say from week 12, I was monitored really closely up to see my consultant, Maraid, every week. And then at week 31, I just went up for um, my check and she decided to keep me in and from then on, it was just kind of monitoring in hospital day by day and trying to get me as far along as possible. Mm. And we, or Adam was delivered at week 33 then, so he was seven weeks early. Okay, how was he when he was born? Um, he was much better than um, Ruby was. Uh, 33 weeks versus 28 weeks is a huge difference. Um, so he was three and a half pounds when he was born and Ruby was under two pounds when she was born, so... The pound and a half made all the difference and he sh- luckily Adam didn't go on a ventilator. He was just CPAP for a couple of days and then he got out of intensive care after a week and then it was just kind of two weeks then of just feeding and growing and just establishing his feed. Anybody who's ever yeah. seen a CPAP on an adult, and I know adults who, who've had to wear a CPAP and hate the thing, CPAP on a yeah. little baby must be frightening to look at. Yeah, it, it's it's incredibly scary. When and I suppose with Adam, it was a different because I knew what the Nikki was like. But with Ruby, um, I didn't get down to see her until three days after I'd given birth to her because I was in the high inten- or the high intensity unit. So um, I just my blood pressure wasn't settling, so I just wasn't allowed to leave. And so then, just the shock of going down there and seeing like the tiniest of babies as Sarah said just like just struggling to to live um I suppose the reality of it and the nurses and doctors doing everything for them so it is it's a huge fear factor and it's a huge shock to any parents I think that's why this tv show is amazing because it'll take away a little bit of that concern like obviously you're always going to be concerned but just at least for people watching this or if there's any ladies in hospital even at the moment who are waiting and know that their baby might come soon, there's an idea of what's to come. And mm-hmm. although it's scary, they're in the best care they could possibly be in. Like, mm-hmm. I could not sing the praises of the nurses and doctors enough. They're just, they're amazing. Is, is, like, that, why no you, is that why you agreed so willingly to be part of this, Siobhan, so that you could show others that there is, it, it you know, the, they're no real mystery. They're just working so hard to yeah. to help the kids. Yeah, like I, I was a bit apprehensive at the start about doing it. And 
my partner Stephen said it to me he's like if you had been able to see something like this when you were expecting Ruby and knew that she was going to come early how much would that have meant to you and he was he was right in what he said because if I had that little bit of knowledge going down I don't think I would have been as overwhelmed that those first couple of weeks down there um I, I mean it's still overwhelming but at least you have an idea and as Sarah said, you know, she she knew what the NICU was like, so she had a great rapport with all the parents. And she, as she knew when to back away and when it was too much. And it's just, it's every day is different down there. It's just, it's, you don't know what to expect in the mornings when you come in because a baby could have had a great night or they could have had a difficult night and their oxygen levels might have been back up or the CPAP could be back on or the feeding tubes can be back in. And it's just, it's it's a hard place to be. So, Where do you find the strength yourself? To be honest, I don't think, like as a parent, it's it's the children that are doing everything. It's the babies and the nurses. You just have to be there because, to be honest, there's not much you can do, only just be there. So you have to be as strong as you can possibly be because they're the ones doing all the work. Like, I'm so proud of my children because they've, they've had the hardest start in life and they're perfect little angels now well I say angels but <laughs> but they're amazing um, like all the parents can do is just be there and just hold them when they're allowed to and like you know even just I remember a nurse saying to me oh if you want to go get water wipes and some nappies for Ruby like I just felt like I had a job and I was like oh my god delighted to be able to just do that one thing yeah. Yeah. and it's something so small but just she knew that, like, I needed to feel like I was being a mom. I know, I know. So, they, yeah. They know how much that means to you, too, and that's the thing. You know, you, they, they do know. Give, yeah. mom, give mom that job because it means so much to her. Siobhan, thank you. You'll be in episode four of Born Too Soon. Thanks also to Sarah Brophy, producer of the programme for Virgin Media. You can get it also on the player. I'm not sure what episodes are on the player, whether they put the whole lot up there. Or, or just uh, the the weekly episodes. Talk to to Casper um, in just a minute. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. Another family featured in Born Too Soon are Casper and Kinga. The parents of Olivia, Leah and Lana, triplets who spent uh, their first weeks in separate incubators at the, at the NICU after being eight weeks premature. Triplets, they were only 1.3 kilograms each when they were born. How are they now, Casper? Good morning. Morning. Um, yeah, they're brilliant, thriving, healthy, Fantastic. doing really well. Fantastic. Fantastic. When you discover... Kinga was what in total shock as I'm sure you were when you discovered that there were triplets on the way let's go back that far first yeah absolute shock um, like we went to the scan and it was just like we were the lady that was doing the scan and what happened was she didn't say anything for about five minutes she was scanning away and we started getting worried that there was something wrong mm. And then she just said, this is baby number one, baby number two, and I think this is baby number three. So, like, 
at that moment it was I just I I just didn't know what to say. At, at least Kinga was lying down. Were your knees gonna yeah. be jelly? They're gonna be jelly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting down, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember standing I was standing up when I was told I was gonna to be the father of twins. So I said, Can I have a chair now? Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Triple as And did you realize was like from from then on there's always the possibility that they'll arrive early, isn't there? Yeah, of course. Like we were always every scan see because it was a, a high risk pregnancy. Kinga was scanned every two weeks. Yes, just to make sure that there is um, that everything is okay. So yeah, it was um, like we knew every scan. We knew that she's not going to go until the full term. Yeah, that they are going to arrive early. So it was just a case when is going to happen. And they did on just under thirty two weeks. And how were yeah. they? They were so tiny and so helpless when they were born. Yeah, yeah they were tiny. They were only like 1.3 kg, 1.2 and 1.3, I think. That's that's not so, even. That's not even. Need, none yeah, of just even about the, the size of a bag of sugar. Not even. Not even. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, just about the tiny. size of a bag of tiny, tiny babies. Uh, daddy to daddy, Casper. When, right. when you see them in front of you for the first time, so helpless, how yeah. does that feel? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, amazing, amazing to see your children finally yeah. out and safe. They, 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 but at they the same it. time, they like stressed and shocked and, you know. They needed like so it's, much it's, help, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But like, being there when it happened, like you, you'd feel kind of very vul- vulnerable and helpless yourself because there isn't actually much that you can do. Yes, it's all down to the doctors and the uh, nurses. Yes, you have to place your trust in other people, which, as as yeah. a parent of a newborn, isn't that hard to do? Of course, you have to place yeah. your trust. Absolutely. Yeah. How how was Kinga after after the birth? When did she get to hold him for the first time, for example? Oh um, no, she did really well. Like we're very proud of her. She did really really well. Um, I think the next day, well, after they were born, she was uh, carted into where they were inside the incubators, and she was allowed to see him and stuff. But the day after, she was already walking. She was so mad to go down and see him. Mm-hmm. Um. But like we said there, I think Olivia had um, an infection for two two days after um, she was born. So she was inside a separate room and it was only, I believe it could have been maybe four days after they were born when she got to hold all three of them together. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. magic. That, and when did you get to hold them, Casper? Um... I think it was second or third day. What's that? We like? were, we were. Um, what was that like? Amazing. <laughs> can des- like words can describe the feeling. Yeah. It was just something I never felt before. Yeah. Yeah. How how yeah. how old are they now? They are ten months. Ten months. What's life like with three ten-month-olds? Like one is hard enough. What is life like with three <laughs> ten-month-olds? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's challenging at times. Like it's been, you know, it, like it takes a lot of adjusting when a child is born to your lifestyle and stuff. And like routine is key yeah. for us anyway. And yeah, but it's 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 great. We're after working out a, a routine for ourselves. Yeah. And are they sleeping through yet? They are, yeah. Oh, well, they wake up once at night, but not every time, but they do wake up for food. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they're brilliant at sleeping. Well, that's good, because then you get some sleep. Yeah. yeah. Well needed. <laughs> Three, right? Oh, God, man. Listen, I, I, as I said to you, daddy to daddy, I'm a daddy of twins, and I remember when they were 10 months old, there was enough going on in that house. Three, Lord knows. <laughs> yeah, but I guess so look if you have two an extra one doesn't make a difference you still have to do it <laughs> you're right I'm sure you're right yeah. absolutely sure that you're right so the, so yeah. being part of the programme why did you decide yes. to take, why did you why did you agree to take part um, at the start when we were offered to be on the programme we were a bit sceptical about going on it um, like I I don't like looking at myself on camera. Um, but then we just said, you know what? It'll be great memory for us and the kids when they're older. Mm-hmm. And also we just wanted to take part to kind of show the, the great work of the doctors and the nurses inside mm. CUH. Mm. You know, so it's, it was just done for a good cause. We, re- we really have no idea, do we, Casper, until you see them at work, how brilliant these people yeah. are. Yeah, oh, they are, yeah, they're heroes. And, like, they're so, I would say, you know, they're kind of in, like, in on backstage doing all the work. No one really talks about them. Mm. But, the, like, the work they do is absolutely amazing. All right. Well, listen, my best to your three beautiful daughters, Livia, Leah and Lana. There was a wonderful photograph of Kinga with them on the Irish Mirror recently. Gorgeous yeah. photograph. Frame it and treasure it, Casper. Yeah. Uh, we will. And the best of luck. And we look forward to, to watching the story on Born Too Soon on, on Virgin Media. There's a good pal of mine as well, JJ. He runs the student centre at uh, UCC and JJ's babies is it Joseph and Corazon feature at some point in, in Born Too Soon and his, his lovely Mrs. Belke. Uh, we will hopefully talk to JJ over the next couple of weeks as well. But it's a, it's a beautiful piece of television, a phenomenal piece of television, beautifully edited, beautifully filmed, very sensitively done, very sensitive. There must have been hours and hours and hours and hours and hours spent putting the right pieces together the right way. Super piece of work for Virgin Media and Tyrone Productions. It's called Born Too Soon and we wouldn't normally go into such detail about a programme like this except that it is set entirely in CUMH. 0818969696. My granddaughter was born at 26 weeks. She was one pound seven ounces. Yeah, and talking to that um, to Sarah, the producer of, of Born Too Soon, there, as a television producer, as a behind the camera, she's looking for that shot where the nurse puts her hand in to do something for the child, for the little tiny, tiny, tiny baby. And you can see this 
entirely perfectly formed human body fitting in the palm of a person's hand. So it's a remarkable, remarkable sight. Uh, this message says, Maeve, my daughter was a NICU baby and then on the baby ward for the best part of a year. Wow. Honestly, it's all a blur now. But I remember the loneliest moment was when leaving the hospital without my baby while others were taking their babies home. Yeah. Yeah, Maeve. God, I'd like to talk to you about that, Maeve. I'd like to talk to you about that because I'd say you're not the first person who's gone through that. Um, and I'd love to know what that feels like if you'd be interested in talking to me. Give the, the lads a shout or pop us a text. 083 at 396 96 Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. I'm in love with the money. Answer 10 questions in 60 seconds to claim 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. Yeah, money. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. I'm getting money. Oh, my God. On Cork's 96 FM. Every so often you come across a story of someone um, and you just want to talk to them. Andrea Busfield is a journalist who lives in Cyprus and is now upping sticks, bringing her horses to live in Ireland and possibly even Cork. But there's more to it than that. And she joins me. Andrea, good morning. Good morning to you. Though it's afternoon here now. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it, you're two hours plus, are you now? Yeah. Yeah, so it's about quarter to one. Afternoon to you. From, what's the temperature like in Cyprus today? Because I know that's got a lot to do with your decision. Yeah, it's very warm. It's uh, very muggy. We actually had storms last night, quite dramatic storms, lightning, thunder and uh, a good load of rain. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about 27, 28 at the moment, I think. Okay. We're, we're down to about 16, 17. We had the 27s last, last week, but they don't last long over here. <laughs> I'll talk to you in a minute about why you want to move to, to Ireland, but your, your story is, is interesting. Journalist for many, many years, including a war correspondent. How did it all start for you? Well, how did I get into journalism? Yeah. Well, it's just something... I was always good at writing, um, and that's what... Um, kind of caught my imagination early on so I had my first byline my first name in a in a magazine when I was 10 years old and it was just for the local REF newspaper because my dad used to be in the Royal Air Force Um, and then it just came on from there is I never veered off that road there was one time I was dabbling with being a vet when I was about seven but um, I, I don't have the, the stomach for it. Yeah. You used to go around the road uh, with rock and roll bands as well, didn't you? Ah, yes, that kind of interrupted my um, academic career. <laughs> I, I'm amazed um, that someone else has even heard of gay bikers on acid, let alone be a fan, as I was. No way. Yeah. <laughs> and so you must have liked their alter egos as well, the lesbian dope heads on mopeds. <laughs> <laughs> they got to my radar as well, but no, it was fun. It was fun. There was a, I remember John John Peel used to talk about them a lot back in yeah. the day. Listening to John Peel, um, but yeah. So 
they gave away the, the rock and roll lifestyle gave way to journalism and you you worked with the sun you worked with the news of the world i noticed they there was a you had a well i've wanted to probe a little bit well, you you're a journalist with a conscience i think andrea yeah i mean really i was totally in the wrong newspapers because i'm i'm pretty left wing <laughs> Maybe it's better to subvert from within. But I have to say, in all fairness to the bosses I had at both papers, none of them asked me to do anything I was uncomfortable with. I remember on one occasion, I don't know what the problem was, but someone had a problem with the BBC and they wanted me to write something. And I said, well, actually, I'm a big fan of the BBC. I love the World Service. And I just said, oh, well, nothing you can write then, is it? Yeah. And that's it. There was no pressure to do any more. Yeah, they love celebrity stories. Both of those papers, well, the news of the world is gone now. But I'm, I'm intrigued by a story that, that, that I read. You were sent by the news of the world, and I'm interested in journalistic conscience, which is I want to explore a little. You were sent by the news of the world to do a story on a Formula One driver, and you discovered yes, there, may, there may be more to this than meets the eye, and you asked, you, you felt it's a story you shouldn't pursue. Tell us that one. Yeah, so the driver was David Coulthard, and I think he must have been at the height of his fame or something. And I was asked to um, fly over to Brazil on the Friday evening uh, from Heathrow because another journalist had done the story, written the story, and I'm not sure why they couldn't go, but they needed me to go to just kind of uh, cross the T's, dot the I's and all this sort of thing. So I went over and I arrived about six to find that um, the girl had missed her flight into Sao Paulo in Brazil. He was he was reportedly so, or allegedly having an affair with somebody, and that was the story. Oh, wasn't sorry. It? Yeah, yeah. The the story was that he was having an affair, uh, quite a long term affair, um, with a Brazilian model. So this was the main interest in the story. So I went over there. The girl had missed a flight, so they had to actually um, uh, rent whatever you say, charter a private plane into deep into the Amazon somewhere where she was staying. So that's what we did. We arrived. You know, by this time, the newspaper spent a lot of money to verify this story. Mm. And I turn up, and the girl's very pretty. She's got two cousins with her who are merrily raiding the minibar. Let them carry on doing that. So I asked to see, because time's not on my side, because now it's about five o'clock in London and we're very soon going to bed with this story you know it's going to go to print so this was on the Saturday ready for Sunday's paper and so I asked quickly can I just see your passport to the girl and she was a bit curious as to why but I said it's okay just let me see and so I saw and it was practically empty now if you have a Brazilian model flying all over the place with her European boyfriend um, then that passport is going to be stamped and it's going to have a lot of stamps in it and there wasn't any so um, at that point, I couldn't safely say to the news desk, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, she seems the real, the real thing. <laughs> Go run it. I said, don't, just don't run this story. <laughs> right. And, and, they and, and they didn't. Yeah. Because we no, always... They did it. They, what... Yeah. Yes. They, they kind of left it for a week to see if they could um, make it work in somehow. And in the end, it was a very tame piece of writing way back at the end of the the back of the book we call it in the final pages of the newspaper yeah. whereas initially it would have been a splash of front page and yes. Uh, yes. a spread and all that yeah and then war correspondence how do you go from something like that to <laughs> afghanistan yeah that's what the guy from james defense asked me when i was uh, on the front line with him <laughs> <laughs> 
it's just one of those things. <clears throat> I was in Cyprus, actually, on holiday with my parents because we lived here. Um, when I was a child, we kept in touch with a Cypriot family. Mm. And uh, 9-11 happened. And so clearly it's the biggest story of my career. Yeah. And so I ring into the office and I say, okay, uh, what do you want me to do? And they said, uh, there's nothing you can do unless you've got an American work visa, which I had, weirdly enough, because I was at one point going to go on comment or something to uh, the New York Post, I think. So I actually had an American work visa valid in my passport, so they said, okay, great, we'll send you to Canada um, because American airspace is closed down, so you can only come in via train and you have to have a work visa. So I said, cool. So we're about to go to Canada. And then they said, no, no, stand down. Canadian airspace is always also closed. Enjoy your holiday. See you when you get back. So when I got back about a week later, everybody was in America and I'm in London and as I said, it's the biggest story for any of us. I mean, all of us remember how shocking mm. the whole episode was. And I think I was outside Michael Barrymore's mother's house or something. I was going insane. Um, and then suddenly there was a call in from the desk. They'd asked the defense editor. He refused to go. And he said, would, would you go to Afghanistan? So I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the defense editor had refused to go. Yes, he had refused to go, said it was too dangerous, probably right. <laughs> but I was like, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, well. I'm there, I'm your woman. <laughs> and of course, I know nothing about the place at all. My knowledge came from the Lonely Planet's Guide to Central Asia. I had just like four pages because nobody goes there. And there's a little fact box and it says, the best time to go, don't go. <laughs> so you went? Yeah. Well, you would. You're a journalist. That's that's how we're kind of programmed, isn't it? Isn't it? It's funny, you know, because I often watch stuff on the news. And and my before I did this job, I was travelling on for the newsroom around the country for for years. And my wife always looks at me across the couch when I watch the news. She goes, "You want to go, don't you? You want to go? <laughs> Earthquakes, mad mm. wars, mad. You want to go, don't you? So it's it's in us." It's Ines. So then back to Cyprus, and now mm. you want to come to Cork. Why? Yeah. Well, I've lived here now for 11 years, and I didn't have horses when I came. I used to ride as a kid, but, you know, just, just local um, mm. stables, stuff like that. But I'd always loved horses, and then I got frightened of horses, so I just kind of left them for a while. And then I came here, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and ride again. I loved it as a child. I want to refine that. So I did. And then very quickly, I bought my first horse. And sadly, he died of colic uh, three years later, broke my heart. So then I got uh, my horse Lucky. Mm. He's an off-the-track racehorse, very, very supreme athlete, wonderful, and my absolute joy. So now also, because then it became a passion, I've got Three more horses, actually. <laughs> Two more here. So I've got three horses here and I've got a, a yearling, a baby in the UK. So it was all good and well. But when you start and you know nothing, everything's fine. And then as you come to know your horse and appreciate your horses and their needs and how to make their life as good as you possibly can, there's an element of responsibility you need to look at. Now, I know this is not the best environment for a horse. It's very hot. It's getting hotter. There are wildfires. Just the other day, I was driving up to the stables where my horses currently are near Limassol. 
and the backdrop behind the hills was just smoke, thick, dense smoke. And there was a huge fire uh, just on the outskirts of the Limassol Forest. So far enough away not to threaten the horses, but to when? There could be a time when it does threaten the horses. Now, with the property, fine. You know, property's property. Let it burn. Sorry, I love my house, but, you know, whatever. My dogs, get in the car. We're getting out of here. The horses, what can you do? My horses are at a place where there are 60 other horses. You know, best will in the world. If you've suddenly got a wildfire striking, it's not going to be an easy save. It's going to be open the gates and run and let's hope for the best. So there's all that. It's not the best. The ground is very hard. Um, I have visions in my head for the last two or three years. I want to see my horses in green fields. I want them to have the chance to act and live as horses, as they should be. Mm. So, hello, Island. And Cork. And the, the five dogs and four cats are coming too, are they? Yes. Well, my cats are street cats, um, so they can't come inside the house because the dogs will just murder them. Um, <laughs> so, But I can't leave them either because they depend on me for food. And I love them. They hang around the front of the house. They know where to go, where not to go. So, again... Mm. You know, I've, I've made a commitment to them. So part of that commitment, and it's the same for all my animals, is your, your mind for life. I got, a, a, I, I got a sense reading a profile of you um, over the weekend that mm-hmm. you trust animals, Andrea. And this comes from, I guess, life experience. You, you trust animals more than you trust a lot of humans. Oh, for sure. But isn't that the same with anybody who has a relationship with an animal? <laughs> Mm. I mean, it's... Like you live alone, have done for many years, don't you? Ten years, yeah. I mean, it's just the way it happened. I haven't decided to become a hermit or anything. But also, I'm quite comfortable in my own company. And I don't feel lonely because I have my dogs. I wake up in the morning and my passion is the horses. So I've never felt I needed anything more. I'm not saying that I'd never be open to anything more, but I don't need it. I'm very self-sufficient. Mm. And also, I, I'm very content. I think, I've not, don't get me wrong, I've been in relationships and had partnership, and um, I've been very happy. But this wonderful feeling of being absolutely content in life is down to animals. That's how they make me feel. When you bring them to Cork... I'd love to meet them. Well, you'd be more than welcome. Andrea, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Fascinating, colourful career. And now you're bringing your animals and your your life to Cork, hopefully. Um, Look forward to it, to to, to meeting you when you get here. And any, is there, are there plans or is it just an idea at this stage? Have you actually begun to to push the buttons? Well, um, unfortunately, after the yard owner where I had my horses, read the article, I think it was in the Irish Examiner, about I wanted to move the horses because of climate change. She evicted us from from the rent. I know, so the drama's kind of gone off the scale. But anyway, a very good place um, opened their doors to us in Limassol, an hour and a half down the road. And I have booked my horses to go to... Uh, what looks a wonderful place called Copper Beach Stables in Kildare because it's fairly close as well to Dublin Airport. Mm. So they will go, my horses will go on the 15th. It's breaking my heart. I have not been away from them uh, for longer than 
two weeks in the past 10 years. You mean this Friday? They're leaving this Friday? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I will follow when I sell my place here and um, I find a place in Ireland. But um, it's going to be heartbreaking for me by absolutely no beyond doubt that this is the best thing for my horses. A pleasure to speak with you, Andrea. We will talk again. That's Andrea Busfield. Fascinating. I, I love the story about going to Afghanistan. Like, she's a newspaper journalist. War breaks out, or 9-11 happens. It's holy moly all over the world. Her defence correspondent won't go, to, won't go to Afghanistan because it's too dangerous. So she says, all right, I'll go. <laughs> Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. You meet all sorts in this job. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks ninety six FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Interesting that uh, announcement from Ryanair on all those extra winter flights from Cork Airport uh, and new flights as well interesting, interesting times uh, and big, big uh, uh, offers now from Ryanair as well coming in to Cork for the for the winter season and good to see good to see, I'm following a story in the papers and I, I won't bore you with it because it's, oh god, it's complicated but Ryanair is locked in a battle with Booking.com or at least the company that owns Booking.com and it's it's in court and it's it's fraught. <laughs> Clearly, these two companies do not like each other at all, at all, at all. And it's it. I'm following it. The Irish Independent doing quite good coverage on it. But just to buy the buy, it's it's fascinating. There is a row. In case. <laughs> when are Ryanair not fighting with somebody? But they're fighting with Booking.com at the moment over what they call screen scraping. Look at the story; it'll tell you what that is. Um. But also you had the protest last week. We, we featured this, the protest last week uh, against Michael O'Leary. Do you remember when he was in, was it Brussels or Strasbourg? He was in the European Union anyway, presenting a, patric- a petition to uh, President Ursula von der Leyen. And uh, he was greeted by some people who didn't necessarily approve of him. Stop the pollution of <laughs> planes! Well done. Oh, sorry, it's you me. What do we think about the... Here's our petition. No, the, the, no, 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 no. We're here to discuss the petition. I love cream cakes. They're my favourite. Like, that was... He really showed that. Anyway, no, um, but the whole... It just it, Ryanair is the gift that gives on, keeps on giving in terms of, of headlines. Great headlines like the ones at a Cork airport this morning. And then the story with Booking.com, if you want to follow it. And the protest against Michael O'Leary in Brussels. And he just... He thrives on it all. And loves publicity. John says he was watching primetime and they were discussing that incident with Michael O'Leary. I've been involved in protests all my life, says John, but I would draw the line at something like that. Because while the pie is harmless, it could generate copycat attacks like acid or bleach or what have you. In addition to that, you don't know what way a person's body will react to anything like a pie. There could be allergies involved. I thought it was very irresponsible. 
and maybe that the programme was a bit irresponsible that way. Thank you, John. A protester with a conscience, is our John. But then I think we always knew John O'Donovan. Protester with a conscience. And on people liking the limelight, Michael was in touch with me about Ian Bailey, who we featured on the show this morning, speaking to me from his hospital bed in in Bantry. I'll put that on podcast later. He's he's on the mend after two heart attacks. Um, Ian Bailey likes the limelight, says Michael. Is it not time to let the Sophie Toscan Duplantier story go as far as Bailey is concerned? There have been no charges brought against him here. So he's no case to answer. Yes, he was found guilty by a French court, but they operate under different standards, standards that do not apply here. And that's true, Michael, that is very true. And as I said, while I was talking to to Mr. Bailey, his solicitor, Frank Bottomer, has has outlined that to me clearly in words of one syllable, even for dopes like me, uh, many times over the years. But Ian Bailey is always a fascinating man to talk to. I find him hugely interesting, any of the many times that I have spoken to him. And while this thing hangs over him, he protests his innocence and will do so to the day he dies. He, he says he wants to go to meet his maker as an innocent man and he hopes that moment will come. Um, time, only time uh, will tell. But thank you for that, Michael. 0818 96, 96, 96. Also returning to the subject of NICUs and the wonderful... Virgin Media program born too soon. Good morning, PJ. Says Holly and David. Could you give a shout out to two or to a special nurse in the NICU in CUH? That's Kate Murphy. Kate has touched the lives of loads and loads of families who really need her help. She is a superstar. I think I've heard that name before. I think I have heard that name before. 0818969696. And here's a story that's been hanging around for a while. There was a few headlines in the last couple of weeks. Uh, one on the, was it the Mail on Sunday or the Daily Mail? Can't remember off the top of my head. And also, Anne Murphy was writing about it in The Examiner. And this is about what might be called end of life kits. These are literally what it says on the tin. You can buy these kits online. And they contain a substance that you can use to end your own life. And there's a man in Canada in police custody now facing a number of charges for allegedly sending these kits around the world. His name is Kenneth Law. And the authorities in Canada have been in contact with the guards uh, as they investigate this case guards confirmed to the newspapers that they had got information from the Canadian authorities about deliveries of these kits to Irish addresses and a number of people have died um, and files are now being prepared for coroners around the country. It's not a criminal investigation but there is an investigation ongoing and as I said it made quite a bit of newspaper space a week or two ago, and I did see just a small piece about it in the last few days that the case is, is ongoing, the investigation is is ongoing. Now, Tom Curran is the Europort coordinator of Exit International, but of course Tom Curran is very well known for his campaigning over the years for the right to die, the right to end your own life. He campaigning with and on behalf of his wife, uh, Mary. Tom, you're aware of these kits and you're aware of what's happening with them 
Um, so, so what is the, the story, as it were? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's stand back a little bit from the sensational headlines that were there. And let me, if, if you don't mind, just explain something to you. Sure. Uh, people like Mary, uh, who got, that's the reason that I got involved. My partner, Mary Fleming, had uh, MS, and she decided that she didn't want the MS to take control of her death. And she didn't want a long, lingering and possibly painful death. Uh, so she decided that when the time was right, she wanted to go herself. She wanted to go at a time when she chose, when she thought that uh, that her quality of life was was gone. Yeah. So there are lots of people similar to Mary. Now they plan way ahead, and this is where this thing started. This guy was 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 trying to help people that haven't got access in, in countries like Ireland and England and lots of others that haven't got access to a, a way of, of, of ending their own life when they choose. Hmm. Uh, and it seems that it's got a bit, it, it, it got a bit out of hand, or maybe it's sensationalism by the papers, uh, but he decided he would be helpful. That's as far as I know now. I don't know him. I, I never came across him okay. until I saw the thing in the paper. What is in the product, I don't know personally, and maybe best not to tell me exactly what it is if you do know, but I think... You, it was available here until people became aware that you could use it to end your life. Is that the case? It was available around the world. Ending your own life very peacefully is not the easiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of people who think that if they save up their prescription drugs and things like that, that all they have to do is take them. That's not true. So to, to provide the means to yourself is very difficult. And there are only certain products. Some of them used to be medications or... Uh, but they're very difficult to get. Now, this one was found to work very, very well and to give a peaceful, quick death. Uh, but then it got out that it was being used by end-of-life organizations around the world. Uh, and therefore, the, the suppliers were told to cut back and it became almost impossible to get. Uh, but there are still places in the world where you can buy it. Mm-hmm. And this guy obviously had access. I, I presume he decided... As, a, as being helpful to people like Mary, uh, because, I mean, when, when we put our plan in place, and you know, it, there's, there's no going back for it, for Mary broke the law by putting her plan in place, but the relief that she got from knowing yeah. that she had access. I mean, we just got on with living then. It was something that we didn't have to worry about anymore. Mary knew that when the time came, if the time came, but it was her choice, yeah. if the time came, she would be able to go. So the relief that that got, and he wanted to provide that, I presume he wanted to provide that relief to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the difficulties is, how do you know who you're sending these things to? Yes. And yes. I think that's what happened. That's your key concern, isn't it? That this Absolutely. could get into the yeah. wrong hands, Tom? Yes. Yeah. Oh, completely, yes. If, if, if there's no checks, you know, proper checks, on who this has been provided to, which is why we need a legalized process where people can apply, where people can get clearance to know, to make sure that they are rational and, and they, they understand the consequences of the decisions they're making. But in this case, it was being sent all over the world. I mean, just Ireland is just one country where it came to. Hmm. He was caught, the, the, but, but by or my understanding, is the Canadian authorities arrested him found his distribution list 
and pass that on to the other authorities like the guards and the police in England. Yeah. And they, they, they followed up on these. And, and when they went to do welfare checks, which is what they do when they feel a person is in danger or in danger from themselves, they do a welfare check and they found that three of these people had passed away already. Yeah. Now, there, there's no indication that they passed away because of this or that hasn't been released. But, but the association is there and certainly the sensational media are making this connection. He's now facing nearly 20 charges, I think, in in Canada. But it brings, the whole discussion brings us back, doesn't it, to what you and uh, Mary campaigned for, the right to make yep. your own choice. I think, Tom, Absolutely. your feeling is if we had the right to make our own choice and a way in which to do it, this wouldn't happen. Precisely. That, that's exactly what I said as soon as I heard it, that this wouldn't be necessary. It wouldn't be necessary for people like him. And I assume that he started off with the best intentions, but that, that it wouldn't be necessary for people like him to try to help other people. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I have no doubt that in what he did, he provided exactly the same benefit to an awful lot of people that Mary got when we put our plan in place. Yeah that they, they could now relax and get on with life because they, they didn't have to fear about the death. And that, I presume, was his intention. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that that was his intention. But unfortunately, it seems to have backfired on him. And if people who imported these kits into Ireland and took what was inside them, if they had a peaceful death, that is what it is, but there should be a legal way for them to do it. That remains your firm contention. Absolutely, yes. Now, unfortunately, some of these kids may have got into hands of people who weren't thinking rationally. Yes. And that's my fear. That, that's my fear around this thing. That when people have to go outside the law to do what, what they should have, should have a civil right to do, and what other countries have given them that civil right to do, when people have to go outside the law to do that, there are unfortunate consequences. Mm-hmm. And, and, and things will go wrong. I mean, I won't say can, but they will go wrong. And this, I think, is one of those situations. Mm. Do you feel, though, Tom, that there is a swell of support out there for maybe allowing it? Yeah, I I think that, again, coming back to Marion, I mean, it all revolves around Marion as far as I'm concerned. Sure. She was the first, really, to bring this to the, the, the attention of the public. And the public up to then, including myself. I mean, I, it was something I never thought about in my life uh, until Mary said it. And I don't think the the Irish public did either until Mary brought it to their attention. And the more they thought about it, the more support I could see, even for us, that sort of thing. Uh, so, yes, I, th- I think people understand what it's about. And, and lots of people, the, the, the number of people even this year that have come to me and said, look, when is this going to happen? So, yes, I think the public are very much in favour of it. Tom, we shall speak again. Thank you very much, as always. Thank you. Cheers, Tom. Yeah, I have to say, over the years, I have um, come completely down on the side of where Tom is there. If I found myself in the morning with uh, something horrible, like motor neuron disease, um, the thing I fear most of, of all medical conditions out there, I think it's the one I fear I fear the most, having lost a dear friend to it. Um, I think I'd like to make my own choice. I, I do. 
I do. This will be on primetime tonight. There's a story about it. Primetime doing a piece on it on RTE One tonight, nine thirty-five. They have sent a team to Belgium, looking at the situation there, where there is legislation on on being able to take your own life at the time of your own choosing. That'll be worth a watch, and it's an ongoing debate. There's legislation. I know where it is. It's somewhere around the Oireachtas at this stage. It's between committees and votes and whatever, but it's there, and it, it, it's it's the start of something. We don't quite know where it's where it's headed, but anyway. Thank you again to Tom Curran. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That story covered on prime time tonight, nine thirty five. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. The Cork Diary. On Cork's ninety six FM. The big splash for aware takes place on Saturday the 23rd of September. Join people all over Cork and take a dip at your favourite swim spot to support mental health. Register today at aware.ie forward slash splash and receive your exclusive swimming hat to proudly demonstrate your support on the day. Please remember to swim safely. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie The whole Ukraine war situation and people talk about Vladimir Putin and what he might do and where he might be and how many dupes for himself he has and and all, and all these things and you'd be you'd cast your mind back to if you will to the eighties if you're old enough or if you read like stuff from the eighties um, to a time when in Cork we had this strange fixation with Russia we did had a very strange fixation. With Russia, and, and go back in particular to 1985. There was a, a Cold War between Russia and and the states, and everything was kind of America versus Russia. It's a Cold War going on between the states and and Russia, and then Rocky, Rocky was it Rocky 12 or Rocky 14? I can't remember which. <laughs> uh, his um, his opponent in Rocky. 16, wasn't it? Was Ivan Drago. He was a Soviet boxer. And James Bond, of course, in A View to a Kill, was targeting the Russians. Bruce Springsteen was singing about Born in the USA. And there was a Russian submarine, or an anti-submarine ship, Soviet Union anti-submarine warship, docked here in Cork City. Too much controversy. A lot of people were dancing up and down, giving out about it that it should be here at all, CND being one group in particular. But it ended up with a a remarkable story about a little boy. The whole thing was taken over. Finbar Buckley from from The Echo. Uh, You remember this. I I remember it too, just as a spectator and reading the the controversy and, and this enormous thing down on the docks. It was huge. Tell me more about the time, though. Morning. Yeah, I'll tell you, sorry, PJ. Yeah, um... Do you know, I suppose all this came to life really, I suppose, just say a couple of years ago there, my sister Margaret, you know, was relating a story there. She had uh, my uh, my late mother, Mara, Margaret, and uh, my nephew, uh, Margaret's son, Stephen, had gone down the, the, the actual frigate, at that, sorry, the actual 
uh, Russian naval destroyer was um, allowing um, you know people to uh, to uh, come on just to That's view right. the ship. You I know? remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I, and like I remember, ma'am, I call Mara, ma'am, now telling me that they were going down that day, hoping to have an opportunity to see it. You know, and. Um, it was kind of funny how it said how it said, turned out because man like would be very anxious to kind of that Stephen would get kind of get to see it if he could you know yeah. so as it turned out there was a big crowd waiting on the dock you know and um, man saw the opportunity to kind of go up the gangway you know she says come on Steve come on c- come on Margaret this is our opportunity you know <laughs> And, typical cock mammy like typical cock mother and like do you know she said like come on we go up but as they were lighting I suppose for once we got a ward Stephen's foot got caught in in the gangway you know and um, what age was he um, at the time yeah say that sorry what age was he at the time he was 10 at the time ten at he the was time. 10 at the time you know so um, he went up and like with that <laughs> with that like there was like I remember Margaret telling me this and Mem said all of a sudden there was kind of a, a Russian, Russian uh, personnel came from everywhere. <laughs> Did you know? I have this, I have this vision in my mind, Finbar. Yeah, right? yeah. Of yeah, Mammy, yeah, yeah. right? Mammy, yeah, come man. on, come on, Steve, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, and like it's, chance, it's a miracle like, you weren't shot. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like it's it. Do you know what? It's like though, if we don't don't know, we never we we, we never do it. You know. <laughs> oh, you can see it. You can see it. You can see it. <laughs> you could see it happening. You know, and um, of course, as you like, as I kind of lay in the story that I had in the uh, Hollybo, there was um, a, a U.S. frigate also docked across in Kennedy Key. Yeah. You know, and it was the USS uh, Paris. Right. So I suppose very unusual um, that you'd have had two, you know, <laughs> superpower ships docked in Cork City in the middle obviously. of a Cold War. Oh yeah, in the middle of a call, but, but uh, like they're obviously coming over because to the Cork eight hundred, as you can remember as well, That's right, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe it was an opportunity for good relations and all that, you know. And um, well, they hit, I think they hit the pubs together. That was one story went around at the time that they they hit they hit the pubs together. But you mentioned young young Stephen was ten at the time. Young was ten, yeah. yeah. I, I, like, I, and I know Steve might be able to relate a bit more well, of that. Now well, let's let's let's, 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 let's yeah. ask him. Let's let's yeah. ask him. You, um, Stephen, do you remember that day? How are you? I do. I do. Hi, morning. Um, I do vividly um, because. Um, it's not a kind of everyday childhood accident yeah. to get your uh, your foot crushed under a gangway of a Soviet warship, you know. Do, but do um, you remember? Do, do you remember your mother? Come on, come on, come on! I remember. Yeah, I remember the the excitement. I remember more the pain of um <laughs> on my, in my in my foot. I remember um the uh, Soviet sailors looking for my mother and then rushing the two of us down to the medical bay. Really? Um, I remember getting my shoes taken off. And iodine painted around my feet. I remember receiving a tetanus from a surgeon in a mask. Um, I remember being walked around. Then afterwards, they carried me. They insisted I wouldn't walk. And they carried me around the deck of the ship. And I was, I had medals pinned on me from all sides from um, from Russian sailors, which we, we still have to this day. Um, and then they let, they kind of, they let us go. Um, and... I, what I don't remember, and my mat tells me I went home and I slept for about sixteen hours, so there must have been some good stuff in that um, <laughs> in that in that range. Um, but there was, um, yeah, it was it was a very, um, very, very sort of. It's still very vivid in my in my memory. 
It was a remarkable memory. And like, had you done severe damage to your foot, or was it just wrenched or sprained? No, it was a, it was a, it was a miracle. There's nothing broken at all. But I suppose they were trying to avoid any kind of embarrassing situation where a young child gets hurt on a court while they're on a courtesy visit in um in a country at you know at at that time. Yeah, and and um, like, these were these were people that we were all supposed to fear. You know, the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. And yes, little boys know, yeah. in the gang think, clank, and they treated you with such kindness. I yeah, I think as, as you alluded to uh, earlier on, was just so much sort of paranoia and fear-mongering around that time um, that it, 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 it was it seemed like they were they were completely on the, on the wrong side of history but of course they were just guys doing their job yeah. and were you know and and um, I'd imagine most most navies if, they, if, if a child was hurt would, would have reacted the oh. same way you know I think there's a kind of a yeah I imagine if it happened across the across the the river on the other, on the American vessel, you'd probably have been treated the very same. But it's a wonderful memory to have. Do you have photographs of the day? I don't have any photographs of the day, obviously. Um, but um, there are photographs in the Echo archive, not of the day, but of the of the ship and of the harbour right. and the, the two ships of that time. Obviously, this is long before. Um, we, we just didn't have, we didn't carry cameras around with us then. So That's right. um, we don't have any, don't have any, Kind of document evidence, except the, except I, uh, you know, that kind of mad memory that um, we still, mm. we still kind of uh, regale ourselves yeah. with. Twas, twas you know, my, twas, it was my pirate radio days, at the time, and and I remember finishing right. my radio show, and cycling. That'll tell you, cycling like a lunatic down to see the C and D protest because I wanted to know what was going on. I, I did, unfortunately missed this little incident, but I yeah. remember the ship being there. Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing was, what what got us going on this was that I was I was thinking about it a few years ago, and like you said, there's no we didn't have any photographs, and I was even doubting myself if, if it even happened, you know. <laughs> so I asked I asked Finbar because I knew his contacts with the Echo, and I asked a few other friends of mine. I said, Is, can anyone get any like archives, media archives, or anything of around that time? And because uh, it would just be amazing to see any any. Um, Footage, old cine footage, or photographs, or anything from that period that would kind of, you know, kind of um, yeah. make it real. <laughs> you know, yeah. you were you were home recently, were you for a bit of time? You're in the UK I, a long I, time now. I yeah, I've been in the UK a long time. I'm, I'm actually in Cork at this minute. Oh, I see. On a plane visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, Peter, sorry, can, can I just interact there just to add to the story me. there? Is that okay? Like what you must remember, like like there was no media allowed on on strictly allowed on to the ship as well, you know. Yes. Even though I remember reading at the time they kinda of cock and were kinda of looking to kinda of get on you know, just to take a few photographs yes. and like you know, but obviously because of the um security on the ship and you all mean that, not you even know. my old pal Tom McSweeney got down there and he was the yeah. marine correspondent at the time. That's right. That's right, you know. And and like and like there was Stephen and Margaret tapped it down to the bowls of the ship, <laughs> down where the sick bay was, you know, which I'd say, I'd say, you know yourself, no picture, I'd say, you know, only strict personnel would even get into sick bay, never mind. Can never you mind. imagine, Margaret, again, follow on from, come on, bye, come on, and then she goes, three Jesus, where the tickets, where the and you know what was what was kind of very interesting was the kind of protocol afterwards, right? Yeah. Whereby the Irish Navy were called on board to you know when Stephen was being 
for want of a better word, handed over, yeah. you know, handed back, that like it had to be done kind of, uh, like kind of cere- ceremonially that the kind of the uh, Russian officers wanted to make sure that he was going to get home safely and that they had done oh, their job, you know what I mean? Um, I do you know, and like, you know, another interesting note, when I was researching the story, you know, um, there was talk of a football match going on the Irish like the, the kind of Russian lads were willing to play the Irish game you know a, a kind of local f- football game but mm. no way no way would they play the uh, sailors from the uh, from the USA frigate no way would right. they challenge you know what I mean is it amazing too how like you know, it, you know the interaction between the two superpowers even in sport small bit was still a bit frosted do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And even in a, even like for a bit of fun, you know. Yeah, well, of you course, know? there had been. If I'm was it was it the 1980 Olympics in Moscow? That's right. That's right. Correct. It had been yeah. fierce yeah. controversial. So the yeah. sporting yeah. relations between the two superpowers were and them were good at the time. It, yeah, yeah. But I I did, did, the Russians didn't go to America in '84. That's right. That's right. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. But Stephen, there, yeah. Think back now, and just we're we're imagining it in our minds, and you were there, and you've your childhood memories and whatever in Finbar. You, but like, if this happened now, well, it probably wouldn't. But if it did happen now, the whole thing would be up on YouTube. Like, can you yes, remember? Yeah, yeah. Can you remember your mother saying, "Anthony," when you were being directed down to the bowels of the ship? <laughs> I think I think she was paralysed. Paralyzed with fear. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> just where am I going now, boy? Yeah. All I wanted was a look at the boys. <laughs> <gasps> That's true, yeah. Oh, for but, goodness sake. But I suppose, PJ, you know, the moral of the story, and as a friend of mine, Oliver Caldera pointed out, a good friend of mine there, when he read the story, you know, yeah. he said, stereotyping isn't productive, you know, and mm. the point he was making, there is good in everyone. You know, we'd be looking at the Russians, you know, looking at, you know, and, and obviously, you know, with the Ukrainian war, it's very, very hard to see, you know, um, good, good there, you know, because, and it may not be the Russian people, it's obviously Putin's war and stuff like that, we know that, but, um, you know, even, you know, even going back, going back that time, they still reached out as best yeah. they could. You know, which was, you know, was showed you, a character a bit, you know. You remind yeah. us in your Echo article, and I listened to the song over the weekend, knowing I'd probably end up talking to you. Uh, the uh, Again, people can find this wherever they get their music. Uh, Russians by Sting. That's right. Sting of the Police. Right. A very, very, very good political songwriter. Excellent, excellent. And, and he wrote very, Russians. Very good. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful song. And the line was, I hope the Russians love their children too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, doesn't that say it all? And, and look, well, they certainly looked after Stephen Hackett. You know, <laughs> <didn't>, so, <laughs> listen, you know? lads, it's great. I, I, I do remember the, the ships being in, as I said, but uh, but there was no media at the time, and it's wonderful to get together and tell the story now. Finbar Buckley and Stephen Hackett, who was that 10-year-old. Uh, lovely <laughs> chat, lads, lovely chat. Finbar Buckley, who wrote the story. Uh, it was the Hollybell last year and the Echo, and Stephen Hackett, who was the young fella, just think of it now, right? Typical Cork mammy. Come on, bye. Come on, come on, come on, quick, 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 come on, come on. And he falls, and then they get picked up by the Russian sailors, these big burly sailors that fill doors, down to the Baltic. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yes, I said at the start that the the Russians and the and the and the Americans, some of them started drinking together in the pubs of Cork. They also bait each other around the pubs of Cork too, if I remember rightly from the time. 
0818969696. Lovely story. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Just before we go talk to, to Sean, here's a story that's going to take some headline space for the rest of the day. And in tomorrow, it's the, the gift that keeps on giving. It's RTE um, and the financial dealings in RTE. Just been revealed this morning that RTE paid €650,000 out to staff last year in car allowances. And there's nothing wrong with that. Many companies give their staff car allowances. That That's okay. But in RTE, <laughs> you didn't have to have a driver's license to get one. No, you didn't. That's according to just come out this morning. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, um, let's have another listen to that. Energy shift is dead or is this? All in my head. All in my head. All in my yeah. head. That's Sean Apex. The song is called March eleventh, twenty twelve. Listen to it a few times now, Sean. A powerful piece of work. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Tell me the story behind it for people who mightn't know. Well, the inspiration of it really was uh, the stepbrother just passed away from suicide. And I witnessed this kind of, I walked in on him and then it, it all just kind of stuck with me then, like, to be honest. Did you find him? Uh, yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. And, and that was over 10 years ago now. And it's still something you think about every day, every night. I bet that moment never leaves your mind. No, Never. No matter what. Even in happy moments or any kind of moments and it just flick. That was when I was about 13. Was there much between you and age? I'd say he was about 10 years older at the time. So he's kind of a big brother kind of thing. And then you went through your teens, I suppose, asking yourself a thousand questions. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Even still, to be honest. It's not something you'd ever heal from, is what I said, to be honest. Or ever figure out. You just can't, really. We often hear from those left behind that you can never understand it. And that yeah, you'll, definitely not. You'll wreck your own head trying to. Mm. But it's only human nature that you would, isn't it? Yeah, literally. Like, what else can you do? Like, was there any hint? Uh, I don't know, really. You can never really tell what them kind of things like. Because I always heard as well that like the people that actually go through with us, they're the ones that never talk about us or show signs per se. Whereas if you actually talk about us, you're less likely to do it. That's what they say. That's what they yeah, say. Yeah, so it's the people that don't say anything and that you wouldn't expect. They're kind of the ones you'd have to look out for, really. Yeah. You were 13 at the time. This stepbrother you're 10 years older yeah did did anybody help you then was there any help out there for you no not that I remember definitely not it's all kind of a blur as well like it's probably blocked out from trauma like but I don't remember any help to be honest did you ever get counselling and uh, no I just poured it all into the music it's kind of self-isolated from then on and just was very withdrawn from thereafter really you, you got very depressed yourself did you 
yeah, even still like I still struggle with my own depression and anxiety and stuff. It eats into you, I suppose. Literally. I think it's something I kind of have to live with at this stage. It's kind of just a little part of you, like. Did you ever look for counselling? Did you ever reach out for counselling? I've did bits. But, I don't know, it kind of helped at the time, but it always comes back. It's like something you can feel like you're better for a few months and then you're down the same hole again. Spoke to somebody one time who'd lost a relative to suicide and they used a very strange yeah. choice of words. They said, it, it's as if everything you'd grown up with was blown mm. apart. Like, how were you before this happened? Were you, were you growing up like any normal kid? I don't remember being the way I am now, anyway. Yes. Even talking to my mother, like, she would, she used to say I was happy, outgoing kind of kid. Mm-hmm. Was, I can't even remember that, to be honest. I always feel like I've been this way. And how are you now? Well, I'd be very quiet and withdrawn, to be honest. Wouldn't socialise much at all. I just have the one friend, kind of. That'd be about it, like. It's a lonely old life, Sean. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's mad. I'll get to the music in a second, I promise, but I just yeah. want to unpack that a little. Like yeah. You're 24 now. Mm. This is how you live. Like, there's, a big, there's a big world out there. You're talented. Yeah. Are you almost afraid to open the door and go out into the world? Most definitely. You actually you put it best there. Even talking to a friend about it, like, I've always said it's the fear that stops me. Fear of what, though? This is all I know. Like, like this kind of life, these feeling like this, it's all I know, so... If I did get out there, it's just, I can't really, like, process that thought. You, you can't park it. No. If you've been in one place for years, the thought of ever leaving that place is just... It's bizarre. It's too much. Scary, I'd say. Yeah, stop. It is, definitely. So how did you discover music? Because music is your outlet now. How did you discover the music? When I was a kid, and then my older brother showed me Tupac and then that was it and you started to write yeah instantly it was bad at first of course <laughs> I was just trying to be like all the rappers I heard and mm. it just wasn't me and then I kind of grew up a bit and became more personal and vulnerable and didn't want to be like anybody I just kind of just wanted to express myself delving into your YouTubes and, and your SoundCloud stuff, uh, and I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not buttering you up here, lad. There is a raw mm. talent there. You, you're very, very good at this. When, when did you write this song? I'd say only a month ago, month and a half ago. I wrote this and put it out within a week, maybe. Because of the lyrics and having listened to it a couple of times, yeah. like, was it? It was clearly building up inside you since since that day back in 2012. Yeah. It must have been subconsciously, but when I actually sat down, I'd say it took about two hours. Two hours? I'd say about an hour and a half, two hours at most. Kind of just zoned out and recorded myself, mixed it myself. But when it's something like that, you don't really, you don't have to do anything. Well, for me anyway, it's, it's not really like I have to try or 
it just kind of sit down and just kind of pours out like who's the first person you showed it to once or listen or, or played it for when when you were done with it uh just my sister and my mother right and they both just burst out into tears did they realize this was going on inside your head no nah, not a clue you my mother she was like jesus it's very powerful and i love you and yeah. She knows I'm struggling with it myself, like, and... Was it a release for you, then? Were you, you were releasing an awful lot of pent-up stuff. Yeah. Even listening back, I was, like, nearly shaking, like, how did I even create this song, like... Hmm. <laughs> like, it blows me away more than anybody else, I'd say. Yeah. When you listen back the first time, and it's like... <sighs> you'd have goosebumps listening... <laughs> There are the moments you really see, like, not being big-headed, but you can see the talent, like, even in myself. And it's like, I don't even believe it's me. And I still don't. I put it up to the universe or God. Like, it's, that's not me. Like, that's that's just me zoned out. That's something else taking control, and I'm just a vessel then. Something took you over in that two hours? Definitely, without a doubt. Left the world, the gods, the universe, whatever it is, just do its thing. Go back to what you said to me a few minutes ago, that you're you're almost afraid to go out in, into the world and live like any other 24-year-old. Mm. It's, it's the feeling different as well. Like, I, I was only talking to my girlfriend last night, just like, feeling like you don't belong anywhere, no matter what. Well, you managed to get yourself a girlfriend, fella. I know. Thank God. Bless her. <laughs> she ran long? Uh, about seven, eight months now. Good for you. I'm blessed. Absolutely blessed with her. Yeah. How did you meet her? The universe again. <laughs> Literally. Wasn't planned at all. Just meant to be. What was your stepbrother's name? Maybe he's helping you, Sean. Do you believe Very in that kind possible. of thing? Yeah, definitely. I definitely would, yeah. Seems very reasonable. Even listening back, like I've made loads of songs now in my life, but that's kind of one that's... There's some sort of energy inside of it, or I don't know what you'd call it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone to support groups or ever gone to meet other people who've been through what you've been through? No just my own family and even my first cousin only passed away a few months ago as well from the same thing like so oh no I'm so sorry to hear that thank you but it's mad like and even that just triggered it all again like so I kind of want to just like get a message out there just try to get people to talk and stuff you know I'm 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 sad listening to you I'm sad for you, Sean, because you've got this marvellous song, you've got this incredible talent, and like you said where to go, you're you're almost afraid to go outside the door. I know, it's literally. I just hope there's other people out there like me, and I just want to reach them people. Well, what if, what if they wanted to reach you? They definitely can, if anybody ever needs to talk, without a doubt. Do, do you remember life before what happened? No. 
actually don't. It breaks my heart, but I don't. Even when my mom was telling me, I was like, I actually don't believe you. Like, I never remember that. I'm sad for you, Sean, but, but my congratulations on writing and producing such a wonderful piece of music. I wish you well, and you know what? I wish you happiness. It's out there for you. You take care of yourself. You too. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Up against time. Overran with that. Sorry, Sean. Best of luck with that. We'll come back to it. And plenty more when we're back in the morning just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing. Focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Call them now. 